Good morning, grace and peace to each one of you. Uh, welcome to the sixth, sixth Sunday of Lent, also known worldwide as Palm Sunday. Uh, we have been in quite a, on, a, on a journey uh, thus far through the season of Lent. Blessed hunger, holy feast. Blessed hunger, holy feast. So this Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what is known as Holy Week. And we have, um, uh, we have both a Monday, Thursday service and a Good Friday service this week, both at 6 p.m. right here at the church. So hopefully, hopefully you can join us for both nights on that. Uh, invite yourself. I'm inviting you, and then you can invite your friends. So the more the merrier would be great. So um, as, we, as we continue this journey towards uh, Resurrection Sunday, seven days from now. Uh, I think let's start here. Let's go next slide. This is in Barranquilla, Colombia. Um, I don't know if it's Simon or Simone, Simone uh, Bolivar. This is, um, this is a guy on a horse right there. Oh, here's another one. William II. This is in the, in the Netherlands. Also a guy on a horse. Oh, and not to be outdone, Joan of Arc on a horse. You're going a little quick. That's fine. Uh, Andrew Jackson. Uh, this is in Washington, D.C., another monument, a guy on a horse. And then we have Stonewall Jackson, Stonewall Jackson. This is in Virginia. <laughs> but what if, the, instead of horses, they rode donkeys? Would these statues still carry the same sort of, whoa, same sort of, um, you know, uh, power and strength if the donkey from Shrek was how they rode in. I was thinking Eeyore, too, right? He's a donkey, right? Eeyore. So, yeah. So what if they rode in on donkeys? Six weeks ago, we were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and, and they were discussing Jesus' exodus from the earth. Um, the moment when Jesus, and, and from that moment, that's the moment when Jesus would set his face towards Jerusalem. Okay, and here we are, Palm Sunday. We've arrived with Jesus in Jerusalem, okay? And it is indeed for, for the last time for Jesus. Before we jump into our text, we want to do a little bit of a context, what's happening kind of around it. And we're going to look at Matthew 27, verses 1 through 2. So early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So again, this is, again, jumping a little bit ahead in the story. This is a Good Friday kind of thing. But I wanted to grab the reality of what it says here. It says, how many of the chief priests wanted to execute him? All. And the elders of the people. And they wanted to do what? They wanted to kill. They wanted to execute. They wanted to bring an end to this man named Jesus. The chief priests, the leaders of the people, the religious establishment, these are the ones, these very same people are the ones who are to teach the Jewish people how to live according to God's commands. These are the ones who encourage Israel to carry out God's will on earth. And these, these ones are supposed to help show the rest of the world what God is like. These are the people who want to put an end to the life of Jesus. 
But the question is, why? Why? Um, why pursue the death of one who says, take care of your enemies? Why pursue uh, death for the one who says, feed the hungry? Welcome the little children. Jesus preaching about grace and forgiveness. Who lives in a nonviolent way. Why? Why are they so cranked up about this rabbi named Jesus? So this religious establishment, they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. The what? The governor. So if they were so angry, why didn't they just sort of kill him themselves? So we need to understand some of the history and ask about who this who exactly this Pilate guy is, why he's governor, and why he's even in Jerusalem. So, um, many of you may know that at the time of Jesus, the leader of the, of the known world was what? Was who? The Holy Roman Empire. Okay? First, there was Julius Caesar, and then there was his son, Octav Octavian, who later becomes Caesar Augustus. And under his leadership, the Roman Empire went from England and stretched all the way to India. All the way. They were a global superpower, ruling by force, military conquest of all other nations. Now, whoever was at the top of this holy Roman Empire was believed to have come from heaven. Believed to be God incarnate on the earth. Within this Roman Empire, uh, there were phrases that were often spoken, such as, Caesar is Lord. Even this phrase has been found. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved than that of Caesar. Sound familiar? Citizens of the empire could even offer incense and, and bring sacrifices to Caesar for the forgiveness of sins. There have been inscriptions in literature uh, found that states, Caesar Augustus, king of kings, lord of lords. All sound familiar? Can I get an amen? amen? Okay. All sounds familiar. Now, if, you've ever been, if you have ever been in the business of conquering other people, anyone here? No? Um, <laughs> conquering the, the, the world before mass transit, before the invention of airplanes, um, how would one maintain order in all of the places that you are now conquering? You can't be in both. There's no Skype, okay? All right? FaceTime, you just can't get there, right? How would you do this? Um, because they are, these places would be months and months away by way of ships or horses. Well, you would set up governors, governors that you trust, local folks. So when Caesar Augustus died, which sort of, puts an end to his divinity. He was succeeded by Caesar Tiberius, and Caesar Tiberius is the guy who was in charge at the time of Jesus. He was in power at the time of Jesus' life. So at that time uh, of Tiber uh, Tiberius' leadership, he first chose Herod's son, Archelaus, to be governor, but he was just as bad as the past Illinois governors, the past three. So, so then Tiberius appointed a fellow Roman instead, uh, to rule the land in place, and this man's name, Pontius Pilate. Just a fun, Pontius, is that his first name? That's not the title, I think. 
So Pilate's job as governor was to, main, to maintain Pax Romana, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. That is, to keep order and to make sure that the conquered people continue to pay taxes to the empire. Why did they need their money to build up the military so they can conquer more land? Okay? Governor. So as the history books tell us, Pontius Pilate lived not in Jerusalem, but in a town called Caesarea, located about 125 kilometers to the north, but uh, to the west of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a lovely place. It's the Cabo or the Cancun of the Mediterranean, the Caesarea, okay? This is a place you want to be, all right? So Pilate, governor of the region, every year he had to deal with these pesky Jews. Every year... Uh, these Jews had a massive ritual. Uh, they had a holy feast. Okay. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had uh, to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Well, what is Passover? What is this? Why is this significant? So as we turn to Exodus 3, we go back to the Old Testament for the reason for the festival. And it says this, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, of that land, into a good and spacious land, a good and spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey. This was this, this feast, this Passover, was held yearly in Jerusalem to remember that God indeed hears the cry of the oppressed, hears uh, the cry of the enslaved and those who suffer. God is the God who rescues. So every year, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and the temple for Passover to remember a time when they were under bondage, under a foreign oppressor, and God heard their cry. This is like, this is, it's, an, it's like, we're celebrating how God has moved in the past. There are more specifics to Passover um, involving lambs and so on and so forth. But in general, it's a celebration of a God who rescues. Passover. God hears the cry. God hears the cry. Estimates of around 200,000 Jewish people would gather for this holy feast in Jerusalem. Now, if you're Pilate, Okay. And all these people are gathering in this one place for a celebration to remind them how God hears their cry. <laughs> Is this something that you might be excited about for if you're Pilate? You know, 200,000 people all coming together. Um, and meanwhile, your empire is currently oppressing the same people. <laughs> like, is this something? And your job is to maintain order? This festival is not a one-day thing either. It's not a one-night kind of New Year's Eve kind of celebration. No, no, no. It's, it's five, seven days long. So, I mean, this is how revolutions start. When crowds gather, especially if those in the crowd are an oppressed people. So, if you're Pilate, you need to go to Jerusalem to maintain order. But when you go, you need to remind people just who's in charge. You need to remind them. You need to remind the people that you, the, the Israelites, you do not 
mess with Rome. Don't mess with Rome. And when Pilate would come, he, would, he, he wouldn't like arrive alone, just kind of walk in, stroll into the city. He would have a parade of Roman soldiers and authorities escorting him into the city. I like how Amy Butler says in, a, in an article on Pathos, she says it this way, Pilate usually spent most of his time in a beautiful place on the Mediterranean coast. But every year when Passover approached, the governor always came back to Jerusalem. It was just basically a necessity, Pilate's annual show of power. Because Two, two periods there, just so you know. Yeah. Um, because, because of the political undercurrents of the Passover, it was always Pilate's aim to make sure that the Jews didn't get any ideas of liberation in their heads. No, 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 no. And maybe even get, uh, uh, get them to buy into this Roman illusion of peace, to vote against their own interests, in other words. And so every year, Pilate would parade into Jerusalem with a show of military power, cavalry on horses, columns of soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, and drums. Leading this march would be a symbol, a Roman eagle, okay? A symbol of power, a symbol of strength, uh, power in the speed for just typically fast, uh, of the Roman Empire. So this eagle is a bird. Do you recall the passage when Jesus is warned to flee from Herod because they're trying to kill him? Jesus told the Pharisees, he replied, go tell that fox. Remember this? We had this a couple weeks ago. Uh, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, it, I will reach my goal. Okay, so keep that in mind. It's on the screen there. Also, Jesus said in, in response to somebody who wants to follow him, okay, uh, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds, what, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So just even reading foxes have dens and birds have nests, is that just, oh, these cute little foxes and those birds chirping with their nests, or is this an allusion to something? This eagle is a bird and uh, was a symbol of the Roman, uh, a Roman Empire. Birds have nests, like maybe grand palaces in Caesarea. It's a nest. And foxes, a fox is an ancient rabbinic term to describe corrupt kings, such as the, the Herods of the world. So when Jesus says foxes have dens and birds have nests, Jesus here is saying that his movement is not about power and giant palaces. Jesus is saying his movement is not about crushing people. His movement was to be different. Another symbol of power would be how Pilate arrived, and this is on a horse. Horses in the ancient world, and even today, symbols of strength, used to intimidate and to bring fear. So let's look at the map. So Pilate enters so that he'd come down and uh, actually go to the next slide real quick. The next, um, maybe one more. Uh, there should be, okay, go back. There you go, we'll stay here. So coming down the, the, the Mediterranean Sea and eventually would enter Jerusalem from the west. And the reason 
um, in the middle here are it's 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 mountains, okay. So it's not necessarily entering from the north, but he'd actually come have to come down and then come enter from the west. Entering from the west, right? So we see that Pilate, you know, this parade of soldiers, this parade of power and strength, this parade to remind people who exactly is in charge. Now, when we arrive at this week's uh, scripture, Luke 19, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and he approached Bethphage, I think it's Bethphage, is that right? Okay, or is it H sound? I don't know. And, and Bethany at, at, at the hill called the Mount of Olives. Now, where, where is the Mount of Olives located? Well, this is east of Jerusalem. It's on the other side of town. You could say it's on the other side of the tracks, but there's no railroad tracks. But it is on the other side of this Kidron Valley. So when he came near the place where the road goes down down the Mount of Olives, it travels through what is known as the Kidron Valley, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So blessed is who? King. <laughs> so if you're a pilot, are you like excited? that this is happening, blessed is this king. Is he going to be excited that someone other than him or Caesar is being hailed as king? Sounds like a revolution. It's about to begin. So the Pharisees responded some of, you know, in, in the crowd and said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, this is not the time for a pep rally, okay? Let's not get people white riled up. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So, I mean, a student of, of scripture is like, stones? What, what was he talking about? What stones? What stones is he referring to? Well, here's a picture. So this is on top of the Mount of Olives, looking down into Jerusalem. And you can see on the far left side, that's the Temple Mount. Uh, we are east of Jerusalem. Um, so, as you take a closer look, okay, closer look, Te Temple Mount, go back, please. I'll call for the slides. Go back, please. The Temple Mount is now, is now on the far right side, okay? All right, so we get a closer look at these stones, okay? Let's go closer. Hmm. And one more. What, what are these stones? It's not a rock garden. You know, what are these stones? They're tombs. So, myjewishlearning.com. I'd recommend going there and reading. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Resurrection of the dead, I will not try that Hebrew word, word, um, is a core doctrine of traditional Jewish theology. Traditional Jews believe that during the Masonic, uh, uh, Messianic age, one, the temple would be rebuilt, in Jerusalem. Two, the Jewish people in, uh, uh, in gathered from the far corners of the earth, and the bodies of the dead would be brought back to life and reuni reunited with their souls. So with this held belief by the Jews that at some point the Savior, the Messiah, the Messianic age, was going to come um, and was going to raise from the dead all of the good Jews that had previously died 
and he would lead them into Jerusalem. And the closer you were buried to Jerusalem, the better. There would be peace and joy and prosperity for all the people in Israel. So when the stones cry out, I mean, is this, is this loaded with something? When the stones cry out, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that want him to be quiet, shh, he's saying, I'm the king you've been looking for. I'm the Messiah. I've come to bring salvation. Because when the stones cry out, wait, isn't that, that's going to happen when the messianic age comes. Jesus just said the stones will cry out. So the stones will cry out is a loaded statement. It's announcing something. Not a simple idea that creation is, you know, all of creation praises the Lord. Yes, that's true. But I don't know if it's in view here with this. Though I like that idea that all of creation sings God's praises. Yes, amen. But I think this is a specific reference to stones. So, now how does Jesus enter the city? Because how he enters, it matters. He arrives on a donkey. Well, this is connected to an Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Cool. A prophecy fulfilled. Jesus did it again. Another prophecy, right? Now, I've shared uh, in the past before about this, this Jewish understanding of a remez, the way of reading the scripture, a way of understanding the scripture. A remez, the great teachers, the rabbis during Jesus' day used this technique called the remez. In their teaching, they would use part of scripture passage in a discussion, assuming that their audience would know the rest of that passage. Okay? So here we have Zechariah 9, 9. And, you know, this, this works in the prophecy world, too. What's, what's Zechariah 9, 10? 9, 10 says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. I will, and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim what? He'll proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I will take away the chariots and the horses. Powers, both symbols of war and symbols of power. Jesus is going to take them away. He arrives on a donkey. But as the story goes, the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations. I think it's important that Jesus enters Jerusalem from the east, from the Mount of Olives to the Kidron Valley. And he enters not on a horse, not on foot, but on a donkey that's been unridden. Jesus enters in humility. Jesus enters with mercy. 
Jesus enters determined. Jesus enters with a heart that's fixed on his mission. So Zechariah, Zechariah shares about this future king, and he will enter on a donkey because he is opposed to war. And he will proclaim peace. Pilate enters from the west, armed and powered up, showing Israel who's in charge. So again, Jesus on the, this donkey, is he just fulfilling a prophecy that he's going to ride in on a donkey? Or does it have some deeper significance? I think Jesus is inviting Israel to a certain way of being in the world. Jesus is reminding Israel, don't go that way. Don't enter from the west. Enter from the east. But we know that the Israelites, they didn't listen. Because in 70 AD, when they had gathered, a revolt came. And they, a revolt against Rome, and they were just utterly destroyed. To this day, you can find the, the Titus Arch in Rome. This is in Rome. A war general who came and destroyed the Jewish people and ground the temple to dust. So with all, all this information, historically, culturally, all this, right, I think there's, a, there's just an invitation for us. There's an invitation for us. Because it matters how you enter a city. You can enter from the west, or you can enter from the east. It matters how you enter a conversation. It matters how you treat your employees or your coworkers. It matters how you enter a, how you enter a conflict in, mar in marriage. You ever have a conflict in marriage and oh man, I definitely entered from the west there. <laughs> I powered up. I didn't go with humility. It matters how you enter and respond to pain and suffering. It matters. It matters how you parent your children. Whether real young or out of the house. It matters how you parent. It matters how you handle conflict with friends. It matters how you enter and interact with a team. It matters in what spirit that you run your home. So the invitation today and ongoing, the invitation is to enter from the east. To enter in humility. To enter with mercy. To enter sacrificially. And to enter with love. To enter with love. Because how you enter matters. 
you, you enter on a horse, the way of the world, or will you enter on a donkey, the way of Jesus? 